This is the fifth Sunday in Lent, and so on this Sunday, we're just gearing up for Palm Sunday next week and the mini-season of, uh, of Holy Week, which is sort of the ground zero for uh, the church in its liturgical life. I thought I'd just do a little review of the first five Sundays, so the four Sundays we've been through, and this Sunday I'll talk about the readings from Ezekiel, one of my favorites, uh, from the epistle, maybe not so much, and then the, the raising of Lazarus. But um, it's about reminding us, just so you know, as a little lead-in, the readings for this Sunday are uh, about a, a reminder that it, it, Lent, which has been talking about a lot of heavy-duty things for a lot of people, about self-reflection, examination, um, we're going to be reading about things that Jesus is going through and the apostles are going through. And this Sunday is sort of a reminder before we get to Palm Sunday that it all turns out okay in the end. It's about resurrection and it's about new life and it's about transformation. So I'll have a few things to say about that. So let's just review uh, somewhat. Notice I haven't used the R word. I, yeah, I'm trying to avoid that just because, you know, it can be overused. So we'll, talk, we'll say another R word, review. <laughs> On uh, Ash Wednesday, the predicates for the season are set up from the readings and from the liturgy itself that have to do with repentance, turning around, the idea of reconverting, the idea of thinking about... Um, uh, revivifying all of the things in your life you need to, reconciliation, understanding that Christian people are to be ministers of reconciliation, that uh, that kind of uh, relational health uh, can make big changes in, in the, the world that we live in. So I always <laughs> use the great line from Paul's letter, to, second letter to the Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ since... God is making his appeal through us. So God is making his appeal through you. Godly motives are talked about in Matthew's gospel. Clean motives, part of the Lenten season, learning how to cultivate them or reacquire them as you live. And then finally, the baptismal covenant and using it as a template that you lay over your own uh, spiritual development and understand that that's part of what happens. Uh, as you begin to grow and mature in the spirit. All of these major uh, uh, themes are in the readings through the first five weeks, but there are other things that stand up in greater relief week to week. The first week, we read about the temptation of Christ. And we do every year read the, one of the stories of the temptation of Christ. And it affords the opportunity to, to say that the source of the temptations for Jesus are the same that are for all of us around what Father Thomas Keating calls our uh, irrational programs for happiness, security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. And I think that most of us spend our lives as we get more mature and more apt. Uh, with regard to understanding our emotional, spiritual, and mental states, that how we keep those things in balance is important, you know. 
when Father Keating speaks about security and survival, affection and esteem and power and control, he said, we ought not to, we can't eschew them, we need them as human beings. All of us need to be secure, all of us need to survive and put that as a priority. All of us need affection and esteem and we have to rightly use the power and the control that are vested in us in big and small ways as we live. And I think most people know that when one of those things gets out of kilter, uh, there's issues, as they say. So we learn about that in the temptation of Christ and how in some way he constitutes a template for us in his ability to not uh, ratify those irrational programs for happiness with our wills, which is the, the important thing. You know, in the old catechism, Years and years ago, one of those question and answer things, was, the question was, what is the soul? And the answer was, the soul is the reason and the will. You know, I mean, if you do an autopsy, you can't find the soul, right? You just, but it somehow is those, those two things are a good way to speak about that, the reason and the will, maybe thinking and feeling together as a way to think about uh, the operation of the soul in, in our lives. So we move from the temptation of Christ to the third Sunday, second Sunday, and it's Abram, who through faith uh, says, I'll, I'm going to go where you tell me I need to go, and he leaves his his uh, home country, and he goes somewhere else, obedient to God in that sense. And we also have the gospel in there about Nicodemus and the idea that we need to be born from above. We need to sort of hew to those values uh, that uh, got us in, into the best condition we can remember, if that's the best way to put that, you know. Whenever you were firing on all eights, even if it was for about 30 seconds one time, that that may be the thing. On the third Sunday, we talk about the murmuring passage from Exodus. The people are upset with God who's brought them out into this wilderness. They're mad at Moses. They're afraid they're going to die of thirst. And God provides them with water. But here's the other main lesson here, that in the course of uh, serious pilgrimage and wandering and confusion, God is present. And even in the midst of our complaining and kvetching and uh, worry and upset and denial of the necessity or the need for God, God remains steadfast and faithful. And in the fourth Sunday, we, or the third Sunday, we read about, excuse me, the fourth Sunday, we read about the woman at the well, and we read, no, we didn't read about the woman at the well. I'm looking at my notes here. That was the third Sunday we read about clarity and baptism. But last week, we read about uh, the processes of God at work in us understood to be bringing the light, the illuminative processes of God at work. So when you think about how God operates, and I mentioned to you that in the early church, uh, the word that was used for baptism in Greek was illumination, that somehow now you were, saw things in a different and clearer fashion. So that moves us to this Sunday where we have some famous 
uh, readings, certainly the first one. The other thing to keep uh, your eye out for is this reading from Ezekiel will be read again at the Great Vigil of Easter. It's one of the, the um, optional readings that you can read, and we tend to do that most of the time. In 1833, John Keeble, who was a priest in the Church of England and a fellow, a country priest, but he was also a fellow of Oriel College, Oxford, preached a sermon to open the courts, the assizes, they're called in England, and he preached uh, a sermon that was titled National Apostasy. And the text that he chose for this was the Valley of Dry Bones. And the Valley of Dry Bones in his sermon was the Church of England. And the question was, can these bones live? On Easter Day at St. Paul's Cathedral in 1833, nine people received Holy Communion. So he concluded, based upon some other uh, political issues, that uh, we need to talk about whether or not God's breath, the Spirit of God, can be breathed into this apparently moribund institution. And this sermon is considered to be uh, the launch for the Oxford movement, for the Catholic revival in the Church of England. And it's by virtue of that that he and two others, main other people, Edward Bovray Pusey, and John Henry Newman. Have you ever heard of him? Cardinal Newman? He swam the Tiber in the course of his uh, processes with the revival. But those three men were the ones responsible for, for doing this. And I always think about that when we read this text because it, it, it's a passage about hope. It's a passage about the Spirit of God. It's a passage about new life and transformation. And when Ezekiel was speaking about this, that's what he was thinking about, too, about Israel, about the exile and the return and what could happen to the people. How would they be reconstituted? And Christian people read this as a text to say that the promises of God have always been present to us and that you and I can experience some species of transformation and new life as we live. The reading from uh, John's Gospel, Lazarus, the raising of Lazarus, is there for the purpose I mentioned earlier, and that is to uh, remind people that what's at the end of all this, Holy Week and everything, is Easter, new life, resurrection. And uh, Lazarus is a type for that for the early Christian church and the story of raising Lazarus. Now, how we appropriate that, I think, can best be said by my uh, bishop for many years before I came here to this diocese, William Swing, was the bishop of California uh, up until about three, four years ago now. And he used to say, I believe in the resurrection because I have experienced the resurrection in my own life in big and small ways. I have seen uh, resurrection in people's lives that I've served, and I've seen resurrection in the lives of the clergy that I'm now the pastor to in this diocese. And so sometimes I think when we speak about resurrection, 
uh, we often have to then get into all of the issues about whether you believe in the bodily resurrection or not, or whether Jesus did right, and you know, so and so on. Those are all things that are good for classes, and we can talk about all that. But all of us know that it must make some sense because in even small ways, we have experienced forms of new life and growth and transformation as we've lived. It isn't just uh, resuscitation. It's not, you know, dying and then coming back to life. But uh, oftentimes, it's things that appeared to be dead that have come back to life. And the potential that you have always had to revive and to make stronger your vocation, your relational life, and your spirit, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. These readings today are about the presence of the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God present to the dry bones, the Spirit of God present to Lazarus and his family, the Spirit that Paul speaks about today in the epistle. So I would guess that the assignment as we move to, to Palm Sunday would be to give thanks for the possibility of new life. You know, sometimes the way new life manifests itself is your uh, increased ability to share with others the practical wisdom that you have learned about how to live. What has been life-giving for you? And to share that with other people without prejudice. And when it's godly, it has a transformative effect on other people. Maybe you've had a mentor in your life or somebody that you knew and admired or respected, and they were able to say something to you that had a particular um, power and force that changed you in some way. So give thanks uh, to be a cooperator with that resurrection spirit in the church's life, to be able to commend it to other people and therefore be an example of what it means when we speak of transformation, new life, and resurrection. Amen.